listeners and viewers, welcome back to the next episode in Rocket Punch's Game of the Year 2017 Deliberations. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Cameron, here, alongside my partner in crime, Will. What's going on, Will? Uh, not much. I'm vertical, uh, trying to deal with the uh, fluctuations in our weather. Yeah, wearing shorts in January. It's always yeah. good. Shorts, flip-flops, t-shirt, you know. It makes no sense. It's 70 degrees here in North Alabama if you're out enjoying actual winter instead of living in this small circle of hell that we call North Alabama here. Yeah, we go from single digits to 70 and then back again. Yeah, it just it kills kills my sinuses every time we jump through here. It just it gets old after a while, Will. It oh, does. trust me, I'm well aware. But you know what doesn't get old? Rock punch. Exactly. Specifically our game of the year conversations here, guys. So, we're back here with our next episode our in order of how we're recording these and how these go live, our penultimate episode. This is the one before the big one. True. Uh, you could say this is our Marvel Phase 3. Okay. Like right before Infinity War? Right. I'm like, oh, this is the Black Panther? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Game of the Year podcast? Okay, I'm cool with that. I, I, of course, I'm totally down with that. Um, hopefully it lives up to that hype. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think we could live up to Black Panther hype. <laughs> We're going to try, though. We're going to do our darndest to try yeah. here. But guys, let's jump right in here. We're going to get, get through the housekeeping and the rigmarole. First and foremost, if you did not know, it's your first time watching or listening to us here, this is the Rocket Punch Cast. We're groups of friends f- around this table and beyond come over to hang out at this table, talk about video games and the microphones here. All throughout the month of January, we're doing special Game of the Year 2017 episodes. Uh, what does that entail, you may ask? Well, with our Game of the Year talks, we have 10 episodes um, of Game of the Year talks, um, they're released every week throughout January. So every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, they're going to be rolled out live on podcast services that we have signed up, iTunes, Google Play, all that goodness. Mm-hmm. We're going to roll those episodes out. Um, basically, what those episodes are going to entail is that Will and I, we've chosen some nominees and whatnot. We're going to sit down and deliberate over our chosen nominees and ultimately decide who takes home the grand prize of being winning a Rocket Punch Game of the Year 2017 award. It's pretty. It's kind of a big deal. Just, just tossing it out there. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Who's gonna win? We, you, you got to listen to find out. I have no idea. <laughs> but guys, what, um, how those categories work is that each category has six nominees. We've chosen between Will and myself. We're gonna take those nominees, talk about them, whittle them down to three finalists. Those three finalists are gonna kind of end up in the winner circle here. From that winner circle, after that, we must choose only one the Highlander of that category, and that game will be lifted above all others as our um, award recipient for our Game of the Year 2017 category award there. It's pretty easy stuff. Nothing too hard to think about. Yeah. Nothing crazy. Um, if you're watching us live on Twitch, then welcome. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, throughout this month of January, we are taking one of those episodes each week and streaming them live over at twitch.tv slash Live. So if you're an audio listener... You can definitely swing over there every Sunday um, at 8 p.m. Central Time every on twitch.tv slash Rocket Punch Live. Uh, next week's going to be the big one, so that is one you don't want to miss. Uh, next week will be the official Game of the Year 2017 talk. That's no big deal. What are you talking about? No big deal. No, this guy, no big deal. He's he's full of it. I'm just letting you know right now. Uh, you know. <laughs> but... Well, we'll be streaming there, so definitely don't want to miss those episodes if you want to watch them live. But if not, don't worry. You um, rate, 
review us, subscribe to us on your podcast service of choice. You'll have all those 10 episodes there. And if you do want to keep up with Rocket Punch's Game of the Year, kind of tally, mark where we're at, you can always go to rocketpunchgo.com. Click that Game of the Year banner at the top of the page there. You'll be able to go directly to our Game of the Year stuff. You'll see all of our nominees. You'll see who's won those specific awards, when those episodes are released. You'll see when those episodes get released there. Um, You'll have a pretty good time, most definitely. But that's all the rigmarole. That's all the stuff we got to talk about right now. We got two more things before we jump into this specific category, which I think is going to be a big one. It's going to be a meaty one. Maybe not as big as Best Music. No, but it might get might get there. We'll see how it goes. But two big things as well, guys. If you are enjoying our content and everything that we produce from our podcast to our streams, everything, you can always go to patreon.com slash rocket punch. Um, that helps keep the lights on here, keep the mics rolling here. Little as a dollar a month can help us keep Rocket Punch going. And you'll also get some cool swag and items in the process. Also, big one here. With these Game of the Year episodes, we are throwing out a spoiler warning. Um, There may be specific times in conversations that we may have to talk about games and stories and kind of reveal specific spoilers for those games to kind of put forth an effort for or against that game being on the list and the final three, what have you. So um, Will and I have definitely committed to making sure we can Avoid as many spoilers as we can, but if we do have to go down that route, we will definitely keep you updated and let you know when we're going to roll into a spoiler. So if you have to mute us or skip ahead a couple of minutes, you'll definitely be able to do that. There. I think that's it. Is that it? I think you got it all, yeah. I think we covered everything. Covered the basis here. So since that's done, let's jump into our category for this evening. This specific episode is another fun one. I, I enjoy... There's a lot of deep conversations and talk on this episode here. Yes, yes there are. Uh, this episode is for best developer or as we put it on our website developer of the year. So what does that entail? What's the developer of the year? Where well, the developer of the year is awarded to a developer who has really gone above and beyond the call of duty and what they need to do uh, within the industry, the gaming industry as a whole this past calendar year. What this going to be is not necessarily who made the best games this year, but more so like who made quality products, who helped maybe help push the industry forward, who helped become a success within within the industry with what they had. Maybe views on that studio were a lot different. Um, A lot of positives that that studio brought in coming into 2017 with their games and their styles or anything like that or mentality. Uh, That's really what we're looking for with um, Developer of the Year here. So without further ado... Let's get through the nominees here. The nominees for Rocket Punch's Game of the Year 2017 Developer of the Year Award go to mm-hmm. Atlas, Ubisoft, Capcom, Guerrilla Games, Ninja Theory, and Nintendo. And don't worry if you don't know some of those names. We're going to talk about all of them here right now. But I think that's, that's a pretty strong list. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Pretty strong list. Um, so let's dive, let's jump right in. Enough rigmarole, we're going to talk here, we're going to get into these, this conversation here. Nominee number one, Atlas. What do you, what do you think, what, what are you feeling about Atlas? You never saw it coming. You never saw it coming. I, I, it's the theme for that particular game. Um, if you do yeah. not know, Atlas is the um, developer of the, I think, JRPG smash hit this past year, um, Persona 5. 
Yes. Um, that was kind of their big... That that was their big uh, game. Grandmaster release of the year. Like, ah, we won't release anything as good as this. I guarantee yeah. it. It was a game that... <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of people were really excited for, mm-hmm. ourselves included. Yep. Uh, coming into the 2017... And I think in very good fashion, they didn't. I don't think they disappointed with the game. No. Um, it rolled out very well, very smooth. Did not have any problems. There were no issues with like, oh, we got to release a day one patch or do anything like that. Game came out, went off without a hitch. Lots of fans. I mean, it, it came out in Japan first, I think, at the tail end of 2016. Yeah, but. Then they did a lot of localization. Global to, release. Yeah, to bring it over to us in 2017. And I think that. It went off very, very well. Had great success. I think they've made... I think they sold a couple of million. I, I think it's... Last number I remember, I want to say two to three million copies sold of Persona 5. Will's checking on us on it right now. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's about two or three million last time I heard something. But um, bravo for Atlas and that developer. I know Persona... F- Persona was a franchise that... Yeah, it sold over two million, and that's amazing for a JRPG. Yeah, well, not even just that, but a a brand and a franchise that really, I'm gonna be honest, didn't really have a oh, it was large a large reach. Market. Yeah, especially here in the U.S. I think in Japan it had a pretty big market, but I think after the success of Persona Four Golden on the PS Vita, uh, a lot of word was goodwill was spread with that, and then I think that built a lot of hype up, not only in the U.S. but in the U.K. and around the world for Persona Five. No, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, I think that the um, Atlas did a really good job of kind of executing and planning that particular stage of um, rolling the game out, doing all that fun stuff. Yep. Now, another game they released this year, I honestly haven't had a chance to play it, but it's a Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey Redux. Now, the Shin Megami series for them is what Persona spun off from. So they've been primarily 3DS games lately, though. So, oh yeah, the Shin Megami Tensei series. Yeah, they have been. They have. Uh, <clears throat> maybe they're kind of funneling that specific genre to 3DS, or well, I think it's because in Japan the 3DS is the most popular mobile platform or gaming device, and they can people play primarily on the subway for that kind of thing. Until so. everybody owns a Switch there. Yeah. Yeah, and then it'll all switch to the Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many snaps can you get in this episode? We'll find out. There's two. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, they had a, a couple of strong entries because the Shin Megami Sensei, uh, Tensei series usually will sell fairly well. Um, downside is their streaming policy. Yeah, that was a big one. Kind of one of the hits and kind of the missteps that I think Atlas did this year. Um, for people who did not know the streaming policy, I remember when Persona mm-hmm. 5 came out, that was the big one, really, that they basically told streamers that you could stream it, but only to like a certain day. And for the most part, that was still like very early on in the game. So you really couldn't get too far into it. Yeah. I think they let you go like a whole 20 days in the game. And then it was like, yeah. And they really, cause they were really nervous about spoilers and people getting spoiled on the game. I mean, it, it's, it's a business strategy. They wanted people to go out and buy the game beforehand. Um, get their hands on the before like watching it, so they can get your money ahead of time. It's a business thing, but well, then they're essentially Atlas USA is just doing what they're told by the corporate company in Japan. Yeah, so but, they can only do what they're told in that regard. And the, the corporate guys are like, 
no, we don't like this streaming thing. They can only do to this point or we're going to take their channel. Yeah. Well, the big thing is, is this was spread out across the board. So to each his own. But yeah, the streaming policy, I think, really hurt it. Now, they did step it back a little bit every couple of months. They came out and said, uh, we know people are a little upset about this. Let's push it back. You can now stream up to this day and maybe it was a few months later. And then finally, I think they're at a point now where you could stream a fair bulk of the game. You could probably stream, I think, right up until the very end in the last couple of months. And then they're like, no more? And then they're no more. Otherwise, you know, they don't want to give away too much of the game. But they still have a slight limit on the game. How do you feel about that? Like, just you personally. I'm curious. So me, I particularly, I don't really care. If someone wants to stream it, let them stream it. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to know the story, I won't look that streamer up. Fair enough. If I don't want to know it going in, you know? I want to just see it and experience it. Like, I didn't look up the end of Legend of Zelda, and I didn't meet it until December this year. And honestly, I could have looked it up at any point in time. And I just like, no, I'll beat it when I beat it. I know it's a Ganon fight. It's okay. Surprise! Yes. How many Legend of Zelda games have you played where the end is Ganon? A lot. Just going to help you Everything but Skyward Sword. (laughs) But it... Yeah, I just think there that was just a misstep. It's not a huge one, but I think it's not a huge one only because it's Atlas and they're not a huge heavyweight. Like in the U.S., they're not by any stretch yeah. of imagination. Developer, their their U.S. publishing arm essentially brings all the weird games from Japan. Mm-hmm. Them and Nipponichi Software; those are the two. Like oh, we bring all, the, yeah, yeah, we bring all your weird Japanese stuff in. Don't Good you old worry. Well, uh, Bamco's more mainstream Japanese stuff, like Tales series and that kind of thing. Oh yeah, I mean Tales, Dragon Ball. They got all the anime franchises yeah, right, uh, rolling. Yeah, they got the Weeaboo stuff, and then um, Square has the the. Uh, well, excuse me, but uh, Cloud is. Uh, <laughs> Blah blah. Okay, I'm gonna yeah, look. I'm talking old school RPG. Guys. They're not on the list. Doesn't matter. They're not. That's on the true. List. That's why I said cloud and not. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, I think that was really one of their kind of missteps with Atlas. But overall, I think Atlas had a really successful year. Well, no, and they they didn't just banhammer people. They actually came out and said, "Hey, this is why we're doing this." Yeah. Now they did tell you that if you did stream after that day and they caught you, they would banhammer you. Oh yeah, no, they would use the full extent of their legal authority to shut your channel down. Yeah, but I think that, that being aside, that was kind of a misstep, I think, for them, especially in this day and age, but again, Atlas had, I think, great success rolling in with the six, I think they kind of rode the success of Persona 5 most all the year, and it's paid off in dividends, continues to pay off for them, especially as Good Word continues to get out with Persona 5, I think that game is definitely winning a lot of Game of the Year awards from some outlets, so um, yep, it's really good. It's really good to see. I'm happy they made our nominees list. I can definitely agree. Next nominee on, up on the list, guys, is Ubisoft, Ubiquitous Software. What? What do you think, Will? What's their? Oh, how are they, how are they looking this year? Well, let's see. Um, we had Mario Rabbids. King of Battle, yes, which yeah. is an Ubisoft game. Yes, yes, remember it is. that. South Park: The Fractured Butthole. Okay, a lot of people like that. You you enjoyed it. You were playing that. Yeah, game. I mean, it is not for children. <laughs> of course, it's South Park. Of course, it's not for children. Yeah, uh, they had For Honor, Ghost Recon Wildlands, and Assassin's Creed Origins. Okay, all of those games were pretty massive. 
Yeah. I mean, as far like, as release goes. You had Wildlands and For Honor at the top end of the year. You had Mario plus Rabbids come out around mid-year. You had Assassin's Creed Origins and um, South Park, Fresher But Hold to kind of wrap up the tail end of the year. I'm sure we're feeding a lot of other games. This was really a big year for Ubisoft and their yeah. game releases. Steep was last year then, wasn't it? 2016? Steep was, Steep was last year. Okay. It's been out for a while. But just like, especially what makes that even more relevant is the fact of the quality of those games. I mean, I think we talked off mic, uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands is the no- number seven out of the top ten best-selling games in the 2017 for yeah. U.S. Um, For Honor was had very great, robust sales. Mario plus Rabbids was a huge hit. I think did a lot more than people expected to. Um, South Park, Fractured Butthole, same with uh, Rabbids. Assassin's Creed Origins, I don't think we got numbers for that game, but I believe they did Gangbusters well, I mean, on Origins. Assassin's Creed, and it's been a couple of years, so everybody's like, ooh, and it's in Egypt. And it, what helped with that is that it was viewed as successful. They, I think what really helps earn Ubisoft on this list this year is what they learned two years ago. The lesson they learned about, you know, the, um, I think one of the executives said, Hey, if people stop buying our game, we'll stop. We'll take a break and we'll stop sell, selling them. Guess what? People stopped buying their game. So guess what they did? They, they stopped making it like, Hey, we're going to take a year off. We're going to take a break here. Yep. And they come in and they come back after the movie, which, you know, opinions may vary on the movie, but, Come back with Assassin's Creed Origins, which I think was one of the one of the more fresh entries in the series. I mean, when you are getting that game compared to Assassin's Creed Black Flag, that's a yeah. good. That's really good. Yes, uh, Black Flag was the best game in the series before this. Really, I, personal opinion. I mean, a lot of people love Black Flag. That's true. They, they did. I I still have Black Flag. It's even when they brought it over from. Um, PS3, they did like the... Oh, no, they released it around the same time. I don't know. Yeah. I, I got the PS4 version. Look, all I remember is the first time you shared something from your PlayStation, it was literally from Black Flag. Okay. Oh, that's, that's true. When I get yeah, right. Because I saw that poster right. after the PS4 just came out. I'm like, ah. You're like diving in, the, diving in the water there. Yeah, but no, it... Ubisoft has really just had a wonderful, great year. A um, lot of great... A lot of great quality games, and that's especially for a developer to, for some to even be successful with one, and they were successful across the board, commercially and I think critically with most all their games. I think was a really big deal for them, especially kind of on the other side of that. Some of the potential problem that Ubisoft had was the big Vivendi takeover. Yeah, they did try to take them over. I think they're they're still trying to take them over. This yes. is a huge kind of talk this year. If you don't know about it, it's it's a huge long process. We don't have enough time to go in depth with it here in this episode, but it's a big thing that Ubisoft is really doing what they can to avoid a potential hostile takeover from Vivendi. Yep. Um, because they want to keep their independence and keep making those games. And I think that it kind of sucked hearing about that. And I, I know, but... That's really, in a weird way, it's really helped Ubisoft steer on the right path to staying profitable and keeping keeping successful games going. Exactly. And not even just that, but like listening to the fans. I think I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the interesting things about Ubisoft that somebody had brought up was the fact that think about all their games. 
Think about the games we listed, probably some we didn't list, but also think about the content they've been releasing additionally with these games. Mm -hmm. Every, I think except for South Park, every one of these games has had post-launch content. Yep. They've generally rolled, they've had consistent rollouts throughout the year. There haven't been any issues per se, maybe a couple of like server issues, but then they get them up pretty quick. There hasn't been any like anybody crying foul from Ubisoft. About no, in fact, it's been a generally positive year for them. And not even, not specifically about the games, but about the support. Think about the other games that we're still getting support on. Um, the Division. Yeah, they just released more content for that and redid a bunch of things. Yeah, and I've heard that that has been received very well. I've actually been interested to jump back into The Division. Um, Rainbow Six Siege, that game is two years old. Still right getting, about. Yeah, still gets patches. Still gets reliable updates. I think Ubisoft is one of the better developers to help support their games through the long run. I think a lot of developers could look at Ubisoft and look at their practices and see what they're doing well with helping to support their games. And I think, you know, kind of a flip side, good and bad, is that this potential um, takeover may be kind of helping push that motivation for not only themselves but for their fans because they know if they help the fans out, they're going to help themselves out. Yep. But even so, like, they're still kind of not out of the woods yet with this Vivendi takeover. And, uh, you know, me personally, I'm kind of nervous as a gamer. What happens if Vivendi does take that over? What happens to the games that we love and enjoy? Uh, what, what are they going to do to them to try and just make a quick, cold dollar? You know? Yeah, that that is kind of an interesting thought. I, I'm i not too sure on the whole Vivendi thing because just looked that up recently. I mean, they did own Blizzard and then Activision Blizzard for a little bit. Before they kind of turned them off on their own. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. That could go either way. Because when they were in charge of part of Blizzard, I mean, we still got games, World of Warcraft. Those had fairly consistent patches. Mm. You, know, you know, we did have content come from out, come out from them. I don't know, man. It's a weird one. I like Ubisoft when they're, they're hungry and they're feisty. Yeah. Because we usually get better content out of them than... You know, when Assassin's Creed Unity came out. I was like, yeah, remember those years where it was an Assassin's Creed every year and it got <coughs> better every year. It didn't really get better. Um, you mean degrading uh, quality because you're using the same engine over and over and over? Exactly. And every, it on you remember things. looking at those videos online and have the weird Assassin's Creed Unity face with the dude with no face and he's like, and you're like, ah. Oh, I love video games where my characters don't have faces. Yeah, exactly. But no, I think. Um, I think Ubisoft had a great year. They had a, they made a lot of great games. I think I own almost half of these games. I know I own the um, Assassin's Creed Origins and Rabbids, Kingdom Battle. So I have Origins, Rabbids. South Actually, Park. the only one I don't have is For Honor. Yeah. So I mean, it, that says something. Dave, Ubisoft has always been making great games, and I think that they've gone a little bit above and beyond with making releasing great games this year. With, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, very little technical hitches or glitches. I haven't heard a lot about them in the uh, the new side of the industry. But I think that what, I think one of the big strengths Ubisoft got this year was really their post-launch support for their titles. They, I think they're one of the best in the industry at doing that. And that's helping their game survive longer so that they can take the extra time to continue to make great games. You know, I'm I'm okay with taking a year off. You know, getting an Assassin's Creed game every other year if they can if they're releasing content like this, not huge, 
crazy content every year, but nice, small, robust content that's meaningful and impactful every couple of months, I'm down for it. Yeah, or uh, look at this, man. We had, uh, so the Stick of Truth came out during PlayStation 3 time. Mm -hmm. And we actually didn't have the follow-up until, what, four four or five years into PS4 time? Yeah, something like that. Uh, Four. Yeah, so think of it this way. I mean, at this point, we had a big delay between the two. But I can tell you this, I actually do like the new South Park game better than Stick of Truth. Well, it's, it's Matt and Trey Parker, and you know they take their time. Oh, yeah. No, no, they, they take their time. Six days to air, you know. <laughs> and um, Pinball and Desirables in chat says, I don't know. I feel like Ubi did okay, and EA did so bad it makes everybody look okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you may not be wrong, um, but, you know, Ubisoft is not like Bethesda in releasing buggy shit games every year. Ooh, brutes. And EA is not on this list, and there's a reason why. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, they were on our biggest fail list. They were. Go listen to that episode, kids. It's it's great. Lots of great conversation. I'm done talking about them. <laughs> next game on the list, our next developer, next nominee on this list here, uh, number three, Capcom. Yeah. Now you may be asking, like Capcom, it's weird. Why do they? Why are they on the list here? I the big one that I can tell you for me, the reason why it's a nominee on this list, Resident Evil Seven. Yeah, I mean, that's a big reason right there. They took a franchise that they essentially almost killed and brought it back in classic Resident Evil franchise. It, it, I mean, or, I should say true to the classic Resident Evil franchise. Yeah, I mean, it, I think we've talked about it in earlier episodes, but <laughs> Resident Evil 7 was such a great game to play. It, it was released, I think, in the perfect window early, uh, like... Early in the year, January, yeah, where it came there out. There was nothing else to do. Exactly. And you roll that out. It has that weird PT-like feel. It's in first person. People are like, oh, what's going on? But then you play the game. Did you ever get to play Resident Evil 7? Yeah, no, I haven't. Okay, yeah. I just haven't beaten it. You haven't beaten it yet. But you've played the game. Yeah. And comparatively to Re- Resident Evil 6. Oh, 6 is hot trash. <laughs> this is, game is actually worth playing. I think that was the big one is we got Resident Evil 6. We weren't sure. If no we one was sure. We were going to get another Resident Evil. Yeah, other than like people were still clamoring for the Resident Evil 2 remake. Um, but to come out of the gate, really to start the this crazy year that was 2017 and start them off with Resident Evil 7 with, I think, a bang uh, for this year in gaming and it was just, I, I really, Resident Evil 7 was a very memorable moment for me. A very awesome game experience for me yeah. in this, in this year in 2017. And I, I really enjoyed Resident Evil 7 for what they, what they were able to do with that franchise there. Um, there were some other good things that I know yeah. we both brought up here on the list. Yeah, we got the Mega Man collections. Uh, mm-hmm. So where they brought all the Mega Man games back. There, I think they're they had the Mega Man. I think they released a second one this year. They they already talked about having plans to release one again in 2018. Essentially, uh, yeah, they're bringing all the old Mega Mans back, so you can continue to play the same games over and over again, just like Nintendo. They want you to rebuy them. Yeah. Um, um, the next one after that was the Disney Afternoon Collection, which I can't. Why do not think that Capcom made these games? Hey, man, they're the old Capcom games. They're just bringing them back. Uh, well, I mean, for, people may not know. Talk to them about the collection. What are, what are we All talking right. about there? So they're the old uh, DuckTales games, the old Tailspin games, uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers 1 and 2, and then um, Darkwing Duck. Oh, 
Darkwing Duck. Let's get dangerous. <laughs> if you're if you're over the age of at least like 24, you kind of know what we're talking about. Um, it that was cool to see that Disney collection come out. I know a lot of people that wasn't a huge like I thumbs it. up. I don't but care. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people that were nostalgic for those games were really excited to see that. I think a lot of people were clamoring for that. I saw Darkwing and uh, Ducktales. I'm like mine. <laughs> yeah, you saw. You, you were sold on there, yeah. Pinball and Desirables and chess says, oh, yeah, some Disney Afternoon. <laughs> Dude, I don't care what anybody says. I love me some Disney Afternoon from back in the day. Um, You brought up here um, the Ultra Street, Street Fighter 2 game. The that Final they... Challengers for the Switch. It actually runs extremely well, which I would hope like a 20-plus-year-old game would run great on modern they, hardware. I think they did a good, good job of remastering it. Yeah, and the we get the HD sprites, and everything does look crisp and clean on it. We got Okami. Was that last year? Like, again, for like the fourth time. I, like, I'm excited because I love Okami, but don't get too excited about Okami. It's like been remastered like four times. Um, oh, no. They're going to keep re-releasing that game instead of making a sequel. Yeah. They also, and I put on here, this is going to tie together here, so bear with me here. They had a really great Street Fighter V updates in like post-launch support, uh, especially with kind of what happened with Street Fighter V. When it was released and kind of how they were supporting that game. I mean like how it released as a shell of a game it should have been and it was essentially a tournament tournament mode? Yeah. And it was... But it was really good to see Capcom kind of double down and make sure they... I mean, it's one of their... That's their mark, one of their marquee franchises. They had to, but to really help support that game, that was definitely, I think, a big plus for them. But on that flip side, there was some great Street Fighter V content updates, but... It was a little bit too late. I kind of looking at some of the things that they kind of dropped the ball on this year. We just got the huge update where they, I think they introduced single player mode and a bunch of other content this year. And I think in their rush, they've got a little too greedy and a little too rushed to release really street fighter five that a lot of those updates they tried getting out last year, it just fell on deaf ears. Nobody barely, unless you were in the fighting game, Community, community, yeah. you really weren't caring much about Street Fighter and what they were doing, and, and you know it. It definitely showed. You know, people haven't really talked about Street Fighter, the most exciting game, fighting game we got coming up. Dragon, yeah, that Dragon Ball Fighters, yo! Everybody's ah, losing their mind on that wait. one. I can't wait. It's pr- actually it should be out by the time this episode goes live oh. on podcast services. Yeah, so um, that'll be super exciting. I'm glad to play that. Um. Some other things, I, I, I want to bring the quote, he, he thinks I forgot about him, but Credible Threat Gaming in Twitch chat brings up, we're talking about Capcom, he's like, yeah, but Capcom also ruined Marvel vs. Capcom last year with the limited roster in the 2v2 system. Eh. Guess what? That was one of our negatives here for Capcom, we're doing po- positive negatives here, is Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. I am a huge fan of MVC, especially um, MVC2, yeah. MVC3. Loved them, but not the fourth one. But not infinite. I, I like. I was. I think even talking to you, I was hyped. I was ready to get infinite, and then they started releasing some of the game, and I think we were able to play like the beta after um, E3 this mm-hmm. past year, and I was not impressed. Especially as I've mentioned it, when in the same E3 you get what they showed as Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and then you got shown Dragon Ball Fighters. I'm like, oh, you can't, you, you, that's not even hard. That's not even a decision. Now, and uh, PBU brings up a, a legitimate point. You know, they did have issues with the license agreements because, you know, Marvel. Yes. 
Yes, so. I, 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 I do definitely agree with like the huge because of Marvel and kind of they're hitting it big. But I think so, so much with the, I don't know, the 2v2 system for it for me isn't too bad. But I think playing the um, kind of demo they had, some of the presentation was a little off. Um, it just, I, I, it wasn't, I wasn't really gelling with it or feeling it when I played. Um, the 2v2 system is cool, it's fine. You know, that's just something different. People are used to the 3v3, but kind of jump back in the 2v2. I will give them credit on this game. They've had a really good post-launch support. A lot of good DLC, uh, new characters being introduced regularly, um, costumes, content, and uh, things of that nature. Uh, you know, I will take, I'll, I'll bounce on a negative as well for MVC. One of the things that really irked me, I don't know if people listening or watching know this, but the the collector's edition for this game. Do you know about this? No. Okay, when they, I was going to get the collector's edition, was so hyped on it. If you don't know, it had like four figurines. I think it had Captain Marvel and Iron Man and Mega Man and Chun-Li. There were four statues and you got the box with the infinity stones. Mm-hmm. There was like cool looking crystal, like colored crystals. A lot, once they, people got the collector's editions of the games, I, I kid you not, the statues looked, barely looked anything to what they looked like in the print ad for the game and the crystals <laughs> looked like colored Easter eggs that you couldn't pull out. And they had like a switch in the box that lit them up. Yeah. It was like, Oh, Capcom, what are you doing now? Whether that's Capcom fault or not, who I doubt it is, but they Capcom was that would have at least been monitoring QA on that. And I was not like, like, ah, oh, come on, come that, on. You can that's do better not than okay. That. Um, and it, it, it just, it, that that one hurt me a little bit. Now, will I, I'm sure I'll give Marvel vs. Capcom a chance at some point in time, but I think some of that, once they started showing the game, it was a sign, especially when a lot of people that were hyped for it were kind of like, oh, I don't know about it now. I and, honestly and, forgot about it because they announced Fighters. And, and the reviews showed, they were kind of average. They weren't great, they weren't bad, but they were average. Um, they they really didn't say anything about it, but I think that again, that I think that kind of falls in with their street fighter thing was like, there wasn't, it was kind of average and middling of the pack. There wasn't really a lot of huge, like they're heavy hitters. They're not really hit, nailing anything out of the park. And that brings me to one of my other last points as well. I don't expect everyone to have something new every year, but it really, other than resident evil seven at the top end of the year, it really didn't feel like Capcom was rolling anything new. That I could think of. I mean, Twitch chat, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but there re- really wasn't anything like, oh my God, Capcom's doing this. You know, p- they've been talking about the Resident Evil 2 remake forever. We still don't have anything about that or haven't heard anything or seen anything about it. But there really hasn't been anything new. And I feel like as much as I love Okami, that's a re-release of a game. As much as I love Street Fighter 5, Street Fighter, Street Fighter 5 still kind of felt like Street Fighter 4 and it was an incomplete game. As much as I love Marvel vs. Capcom, Marvel's Capcom itself kind of felt like a little unfinished and not quite there just yet. Uh, Mega Man collections, they're great. They're old games. And kind of seeing like, when are we going to get something new? When are we going to get something fresh? There have been a lot of rumors of the Resident Evil 2 remake, which is awesome, but again, remake. Yep. Um, they are re-releasing the DMC remakes this year in 2018. There have been rumors as far back as late 2017 of a new Devil May Cry entry. That would be cool. I'd yeah. be down for that. But again, there's not there wasn't a lot to get excited, like pumped for in 2018 
or 2017 for Capcom. Marvel vs. Capcom was, but once they kind of started showing more of that game off, kind of waned a lot for a lot of people, and I think that kind of kind of bit them in the butt a little bit in the long run. No, I can definitely agree with you there. Looking at chat, does anybody say anything goofy? Uh, goofy? Okay. No, they're just making... Okay, so Matthew Kinetics does say in, ch in Twitch chat that character models have improved since launch. I, I do remember that. <laughs> he, somebody agrees with me. The collector edition was horrible. Can't believe they would even think of making and releasing that stuff. Um, I, yeah, I agree. Um, Matthew Kinetics in chat. Um, I, I think once in E3, they showed Marvel vs. Capcom as soon as Dragon Ball Fighters got rolled out on the Xbox stage. Nobody even cared about Marvel's Capcom anymore. Uh, just me personally. Me personally. But, um... Anything else on Capcom? No, I'm good. Okay. Let's keep going, guys. Our next nominee in the list here for Best develop or Developer of the Year is going to go to Guerrilla Games. Hmm... You mean the Shooter Bros? Yeah, they don't do that anymore. They maybe we may get some of those games later, but they don't do that anymore. I think that, um, I definitely think they deserve a spot on this list after what they rolled out with this year. And it's funny they only released one. Well, no, I don't like to say one game. Well, they, they released a monstrous game, but they are part of Sony, so yeah. It, it I think that. Of course, if you do not know who Guerrilla Games is, they are the um, developers behind Horizon Zero Dawn. And formerly known as developers behind uh, Killzone. Yes. Uh, that if you, series. If you've played any of the Killzone games, they're the guys behind those. And I really... <clears throat> in the AAA... And people in chat, if you're listening, you dag us and you definitely concur or disagree with me. I think in the AAA space... Especially lately, it's gotten really hard to try new things. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Um, it, it's for a myriad of different reasons. One of the big ones is that a, a lot of publishers and the corporate guys are really looking for, like, how, we need money. We got to keep money in order to keep these large studios going for these AAA games. And what's going to draw us in for the money? And there are not a lot of publishers that take risks, risks on new IP um, you know, we always want new IP and a lot of that's we've been kind of looking towards in the indie scene, in my opinion, to kind of get that new IP. But we still see it in the AAA space, but it's just starting to get, it feels rare. I don't say it is, but it feels a lot more rare nowadays. And this is Guerrilla Games. This is a studio that literally, they were created and born and they made first person shooters. They made Killzone mm -hmm. 1, Killzone 2. Three Shadowfall. There were a there's a PSP game. There's a PS Vita game. Uh, is all Killzone all the time in these? Oh yeah, man! Didn't you know we got to kill everything? It's the Killzone. You got to kill the space Nazis. Yeah, well, I mean they are definitely space yeah, Nazis. Space Nazis. And like you, those games were not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but they never really hit. They're usually that. like seven to eight. They're out of average, good status. Um, nothing like Halos. Nothing like Call of Duties. Nothing like that. But to take that studio that is, these are people that have been here for years that know, they know shooting mechanics and know first person shooting, they know how that flow works and everything. And to come in and say, you know what, we're going to make a new game. We're not, it's not going to be first person. It's not going to be a shooter. It's going to be a third person action RPG. <laughs> and we're going to put, it has robot dinosaurs and to come out of the gate at first, you hear that and you're like, Oh my goodness, what, what are you going to, 
do yeah, that. Yeah, man, didn't you hear? Robot dinosaurs in the future against tribalistic people who have, mm-hmm. like, bows and arrows. It'll be great. And I, I think what earns them a spot on this list is not necessarily, like, the fact that, oh, they made a new IP, but they made a new IP and they nailed it so well. I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn is on, along with Persona 5 and... Breath of the Wild and Nier and so many other games from 2017 is on people's games of the year list. A lot of people, ourselves included, have really enjoyed Horizon Zero Dawn. And this is, you know, but people, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a real game. But you got to remember, this is the guys that made Killzone. And they rolled this out. They really worked hard and put a lot of effort. I think that maybe some studios with new IPs maybe not get a chance to create this new IP. Maybe their publishers like, no, keep making this, but they were given a chance. And I think I've said it on the podcast before. I really think horizon is going to kind of become that new face of PlayStation that Nathan Drake was when during the uncharted series. I mean, we're getting a, we're getting a sequel. There's not a question about that. Um, I think I I can't remember the last number for horizon. I want to say, Four, five, six million, maybe a little bit more than that, sold since its release this year. Hey, man, that's good. Keep it up. That's very, very good. And for them to come out, and you, you look at you look at their year. They had Horizon Zero Dawn back in March. They release an expansion for the game within the calendar year that the game comes out, which I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, Can you think of any other games that might have done that? I mean, Ubisoft games, usually they'll have, like, extra content come out the same year. Um, Heck, Destiny's done it. Destiny already had the first season DLC. No, it's not as large of an expansion by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I want to guess, in, like, Destiny's kind of... Games of Servicey, okay, they split here. But, like, as far as, like, a standalone game that had an expansion within its calendar year... Did The Witcher do that? Maybe The Witcher, maybe Fallout, Fallout Four. No, Fallout did have, but they already had DLC planned, like five or six packs of it. But even okay, even so, but so, I guess for the size of what that was, it was it's very few and far between. And for them to succeed at it, I mean, Frozen Wilds was received very well. I enjoyed it. I played through the Frozen Wilds. Heck, they even released a whole secondary soundtrack just for Frozen Wilds. It's already out there and available. Also, Pinball and Desirables. I am reading chat now. Um, I, I'm reading this now. There's possibility. He's not tossing me under the bus. He's uh, he's being a good friend. When there's beer involved, of course, I'm involved. Um, <laughs> good. <clears throat> good. Look, I'm just keeping chat going, you know. <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah, see that. I'm talk- When I talk, he can watch the chat. When he talks, I watch chat. So yep. that's, we got a system going here. But no, I think that them and their expansion packs, I, I think other games, we talk about Horizon Really, that could be their only game, but I, I think did Riggs come out? Yeah, but that was a secondary studio under that brand over in the UK. But it was Guerrilla Games, and unfortunately, Guerrilla Cambridge, I think. Yeah, and they, they did they get closed. closed. They did get closed. Um, no, we, um, Riggs came out last year, so oh, okay. took the back. But um, I mean, again, bouncing back from Killzone and really, Horizon was the game that really helped reestablish Guerrilla as a top tier studio. Oh, no, definitely. Um, honestly, just take take a minute. Look, that whole starting area, it could be anywhere from one to four hours, right? For Maybe. St- you could, if you do all the side quests before you even walk out, it could be more. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just saying, but if you rush through the story, it could be like one or two hours. If you drag it on, you do some extra hunting and whatnot first, mm-hmm. be up to four hours, unless you want 100% the game, which good luck. Um, then when you look at that, it's like that is the tutorial zone. Um, then the game opens up and it says, oh, that's cute. That was like 5% of the map. Yeah. Like, surprise. Hey. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. And it's just, it, it was it was an incredible feat for the kill zone guys to come out with a game like this. Well, um, yes. However, I do feel like they, they did have an edge on a combat system just because they went from a combat game to a combat game. And even though it's kind of like a third-ish person, I say that because you have some moments where you can kind of focus in on... You I know, mean, it's third person. You see Aloy the entire time, so... Yeah. Uh, I guess it depends on the weapon you're using, too, when you zoom. I don't know how far you zoomed in, but okay. Well, no, no, I'm saying as far as, uh, like, because they have a long-range bow, and then they have, like, just the regular one, okay. and that kind of stuff. Okay. So that's why I'm bringing that up, because... Their combat, switching from first to a third-ish because of the zoom thing, um, honestly, it was very solid. Most most studios, if you're going to switch perspectives like that, they do have issues with that. Okay. And now, it um, kind of we look at the pros and cons for each of the studios. I know one of the ones you brought up, I didn't think it was a problem, but you wanted to bring up as well with some of the small little technical hitches in the Yeah, horizon. so um, they kind of did something that I hated about Mass Effect. Um, so when you're in, like, having a dialogue moment, it's essentially just run by an algorithm. Someone doesn't necessarily go through and program the whole dialogue. So the facial structure is a little off compared to the conversation you're having. You're talking about the uncanny valley effect, like some of the emotions and kind of cheekbones and stuff. I don't, it looks very plain, like, oh my God. Yes, that right there. What's happening? Yeah, and so... My brother is kidnapped. Please help him. For a big budget AAA title like that, it does frustrate me. Yeah, and you know... It also pulls you out of the moment. It's like, oh... I could see that as well. You know, and a lot of people compared that to Fallout uh, that's seen a lot in Fallout. Uh, I, it's I, also in all of the Mass Effect games. So. I think I think that that aside, like considering that, especially for a studio that is doing that for the first time, like, and I think a lot of reviewers were like, "Yeah, it's a it's a pebble in the large lake that is Horizon." Oh no, it's just it, it is annoying. Yeah. Well, but definitely something we want to bring up as well. But uh, other than that, I mean, Gorilla's just had a stellar year uh, making a lot of great content for Horizon and really making that the best that it could be. So, bravo to two Gorilla games. Next studio on the list here in our nominees is Ninja Theory. Who's that? It's the studio. You may have heard us talk about them before here on the episodes. Um, they made this game called Hellblade, Cinema Sacrifice. No idea what that is. <laughs> no, Ninja Theory had a, I think, a more successful year than they probably had any right or thought to have. Now, as far as success, they weren't making like gangbusters and whatnot. But for people who don't know, Ninja Theory is an indie studio. They made Hellblade. Um, some other games you may have remembered them from were um, DMC, the Devil May Cry kind of reboot from back in 2013. The um, Enslaved Journey to the West on PS3. Um, uh-huh. uh, what was her name? 
who's the, I don't, I don't it was the it was a PS3 launch title Heavenly Heavenly Sword, Sword. Heavenly yeah. Sword um, they helped make those games there and I think this year their really their title that they released was Killzone or not Killzone but Hellblade Sinua Sacrifice I, was like, I didn't know they became Shooter Bros yeah they didn't know they did not and <clears throat> they what I liked about Ninja Theory I think why I see them on this list is that they had a vision for Hellblade and they executed it more polished, more successfully than I think a lot of even EA, some AAA developers were even <laughs> able to nail down and do this past year. Oh. And this is a this is an indie group. They're they're looking for ways to cheat around and get as much get money out as best as they can so they can keep the doors open for the studio and continue to make games and yeah they ended up using their uh video editor to also be the lead actress yeah. it, like they found i'm gonna say creative ways to succeed and make the game as polished and awesome as it possibly was but i think even more so and we go listen to past episodes if you want to hear us talk about hellblade uh, Talking more with Ninja Theory, the big thing I'd probably bring up is the fact that what they're accomplished, what they were trying to accomplish with the mid-tier market, and with making Hellblade, when they announced this a couple of years back, their goal was to kind of bring back the double-A market, as some people like to throw that term around, like a game that has triple-A quality feel, but has the maybe the scope and the um, cost of a single A or indie title. Nothing that it's not going to break the bank. You're not going to be paying sixty dollars for this, but for the time you're going to spend with it, you're going to have a true to life. It's going to feel like a triple A game. And I, you know, I've beaten Hellblade. I don't know. Have you gotten further in the game? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, it it feels like a triple A game, and they, I actually got a lot more out of it than I thought I was going to. When I thought the game was going to end, no, it keeps going, and it was really. For knowing, understanding what Ninja Theory was doing with that game and their scope and what they had available was really something else, especially when you look at the final product and what they delivered. Not only that, um, they have a full developer dialogue and uh, a Vidoc series. Yes, uh, you can and see. They need to be watched. Every, from inception of that game to post-launch and sales figures and things like that, you can see everything that studio's ever done on Ninja on um, Hellblade and their kind of goal was to try and add more transparency to game development and then we go into a lot more conversation on this I think on Biggest Impact episode mm -hmm. but I think they just really nailed down as an indie studio like how successful you can be if you put the work down and try these little tricks and f bring your focus to put a game in the AAA space I mean the game came out at $30 I mean, I, I dare say I, I would have paid 60 bucks for the game because I, it was that good. It had that high of a polish on the game. And you don't see that. I'm not going to say you don't see that from indie. You don't see that AAA quality a lot from indie devs. Not unless you get a bunch of indie devs together to work on it. And I think a lot, you know, that's not knocking games like Shovel Knight and all these 2D side-scrolling games. I'm talking like these... You know, what people think of as AAA, these fully realized 3D open world-esque games with intricate combat and you can see the pores in their face and their eyeball and things like that. And 
it to see that in a game like Hellblade and understand the cost and the work that went in behind that was really something else and really really top notch. It really showed that Ninja Theory are masters of their trade. I can definitely see that. Um, and I think that it really helped to kind of, for them to kind of to see somebody push that market back in the mid tier market where we have games we're not necessarily paying. 60 70 80 dollars for trying to get the gold edition of the game and things of that nature but we um we're still getting an enjoyable experience and quality experience fair enough i well funny enough this is the only one we had we didn't really have any cons for we couldn't think i couldn't think of anything no n- not really negatively to say about ninja theory i think they they did overall like they they did a, they had a very successful year like i say they knocked out of the park but they did a very successful they're already year. in the black too yep uh, I think three months ahead of their schedule. Yeah, so good on them. That's very good. Now, the last one, the big one. Yeah, I would say this is the big one of all of them. Yeah, the the one that I'm sure everybody's interested to hear more about. Nintendo. Ninty. Let's 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 look at Nintendo. Let's talk about Nintendo. Let's talk about Nintendo back in 2015, 2016. You remember Nintendo back then with the Wii U? It was the hottest thing in the market, right? Yeah, they they uh, had Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. Yeah, oh man, it was great. Thirteen million consoles sold in five years. That's great, right? I mean, you know, it's only no, no, that's hot trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like you, it, it wasn't bad. They broke even, but they didn't do well. I don't think it should surprise anyone that Nintendo was on this list after the year that they had to come in first and foremost and to start off. To wash the nasty, nasty taste of the Wii U out of everyone's mouths and bring us the Nintendo Switch was just mind-bogglingly, mind-bogglingly crazy to have the Switch release in March and now it's one of the like consistently the top-selling consoles sold in the U.S. and in Japan probably the remainder of the year. It was the hottest item for Christmas. Uh, people can't get enough of it. I think it's already surpassed. It's already sold more copies within a year than the Wii U sold in its lifetime. Yep. Um, and really just on a basic premise, and I mean, really, you think about it, you boil it down. This is basically they took the Wii U and they just, let's refine that. Let's make it more. Instead of having a tablet and a console, make the tablet the console. So, funny thing about the Switch. Hmm. So, Japan is usually a pretty big identifier of which way the market's going to go with the consoles. Hmm. As of December 29th, the Switch has outsold the PS2 in its first year. And that is the highest selling console of all time. Says something here. Just based on time, it's uh, just under 3.3 million Switch units just in Japan. So... And it's... It's not just the fact that they made the Switch. It's the fact they made the Switch after the blunder that was the Wii U. Like, to, you're, you're looking at, I mean, at least as of right now, in this snapshot currently in time, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high right now. Yeah, right now they're outpacing every other console ever made. And, like, that says something. Like, that is huge. For perspective, the Super Nintendo sold about 89 million units. I think the um, I think the top selling Wii the top selling 
Nintendo console still the Wii at 150. Uh, it was like 149, and the PS2 is at like 152. Something like, yeah, something around that number. Yeah, um, we're talking millions of units, by the way. Yeah, and that's the big thing here is to bounce back so well from the Wii U, and and, and of course having on the list it helps when you have great titles as well. You have a a launch title that's a Zelda game, which everybody's been waiting an years open for. world Zelda game, uh, which we haven't had a brand new Zelda entry in a long time. And then you have, I mean, think about the games for the, like the, the Nintendo exclusive games. Yeah, and then Zelda, you got Mario, you had Splatoon 2, you had Arms, you had, um, oh, there are a bunch of other games I'm forgetting. What are, what are some of the Nintendo games that came out this past year? Oh, man. Those were the big ones. Oh, um, Pokemon Tournament. Pokemon and all these games were million plus copies sold on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, this isn't including as well like your third party games like Mario plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, which is an Ubisoft game. You had a lot of indies finding a lot of success. I mean, how many times did we hear indie devs come out and say our game sold more on the Switch than it did on any other version combined? I, I think the only one that hasn't come out and said that was uh, the guys behind Stardew Valley. Um, concerned um, ape and chucklefish. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they've released numbers for that just yet. No, we'll, have to find, we'll see after the episode. But <laughs> uh, it, it's something that I think stands as a testament to Nintendo. And I, I think I've mentioned that on the episode before. Is like when Nintendo does well, then the industry does well. And I think it really showed in 2017 with them coming back, kind of bouncing back with the Switch. You know. Yep. So I gotta go ahead and read this. Develop CSL has joined us, and he's like, "Developer of the year equals CSL." <laughs> um, if he released the game this year in 1.0, then sure, we could talk to him. Maybe we'll see. Oh, that's why I say in my in our hearts, <laughs> they, in our hearts, well, we can we can work with that definitely. But I mean, Nintendo just had an unbelievable year. I mean, you have a Zelda and a Mario game come out in the same year. You're selling gangbusters of this console. I can't find a physical copy of the Mario game to ship to my sister. <laughs> and not only that, but you're also, you also have to look at the other stuff they've done, like with what, the, the, Super NES, the Super NES Classic and how well that sold. Hang on, hang on. We had a Super Nintendo game released for the first time in 2017. Let that blow your mind. Yes. <laughs> Star Fox 2, that's what he's talking about. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to think of what it, like the the switch has really just taken over the world, uh, and and I think that it has Nintendo has learned a lot of lessons from the Wii U in order yep. to stay relevant to have the successful year that they did. This Let's year. see, they made it a tablet. It's on an ARM uh, ARM core uh, CPU, which is now the most commonly coded for CPU because of smartphones. Well, I told you that it. They took from the Wii U. They took the tablet and the console, and they made the tablet the console. No, they just had a fusion dance. Fusion, huh? Um, but uh, no, and not only all that. Honestly, it's just interesting to see. Like, okay, cool, and it's an Nvidia chip though that's in it. Yeah, and, and that speaks a lot. Like, if I'm not mistaken, most Nintendo consoles they have like some proprietary architecture they use to. No, they've been using ARM since the Game Boy. Okay. Well, at least the Game Boy Advance that had an ARM CPU in it. Mm -hmm. I know because I did my Game Boy rebuild. Oh, okay. I literally looked at the board. I'm like, huh, I did not know it was an ARM. Surprise. Yeah. But I think just 
their their successes are i mean they speak for themselves you probably know of nintendo and what they've done this past year and i think it speaks to it very well but as much success as they've had there are some bumps in the road that nintendo has also had this year 2017 yeah um, some of the big ones uh the uh, there as many lessons as they as they've learned with the switch and the wii u and their games and things like that they're still a little, in my opinion, a little stuck in the past with some systems like online functionality. Yeah, you'd use your smart device for that. Oh, man. That, that what app. do you mean it doesn't work in uh, the console? No, 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 no. There's no mic. What? You have to get that crazy adapter thing, whatever that foolishness it is. Foolishness is to hook it up. Um, you're having to deal with that. Some of their streaming policies, especially on YouTube... Oh, you mean there there is no stream policy if they're not the one streaming it? Exactly, and and some of their approaches I think are a little anti. I'm not gonna say anti-consumer, but they're a little. In 2017, a lot of people stream, and they have every right, but I think that it was viewed kind of negatively. the The online infrastructure in the app, and even like even taking those two away, the big one, the virtual console. Where is it at? Their online, their online infrastructure to play games online with friends. We went from. It's going to come out in fall 2017. No, it's going to come out in spring 2018. Now it's fall 2018. Yeah, and like what's going on? I know that Nintendo's had trouble with that, but... Yeah, it is disappointing, but also at the same time, Nintendo's one of those companies where they're willing to delay something for five years if it means it'll come out right. Oh, yeah. So the the trick is we get to deal with... The trick is if it comes out right. And I, I appreciate the fact that Nintendo is not charging anyone yet until that rolls out. And their prices are very reasonable. Yeah, they're saying twenty to thirty dollars a yeah, year. Yeah, very reasonable for their <laughs> online to Xbox Live, which is sixty bucks, and same for PlayStation. You know, it's like, oh man. And another one as well. We we love the success of the Super NES Classic, but stock levels. And not even just stock levels. Like you got to remember before it launched, when we weren't sure, and it still kind of felt like they were going to go the way of the NES Classic, where short stock. Like not going to have enough. People are going to be selling them on eBay. They're going to be clamoring from the stores. You're going to pay two, two, 300% markup on this system from $70, $80. And it was really now I put this on here as a con because at the beginning of the year, we didn't really know. Now did Nintendo reverse that? Yes. They came out. Reggie came out and said, look, we're going to make more of these consoles. You don't understand. You won't have to find them on eBay. And to their credit, I believe, for the most part, people have been happy with getting their hand on the console. If they've wanted it, they've been able to find it. Yeah, it may take a little bit of time, but you will be able to get it. And I think they actually earned even more goodwill by coming back and saying, in 2018, we're going to release the NES Classic again and have more stock of that. I I just honestly don't think that they realized that that was going to be as big of a hit as it was. Yeah. For the NES Classic. And I, I think that... But the, the big thing there is, as much as Nintendo's changed, there are still policies and whatnot that I think are kind of, they're still stuck in their old ways of thinking. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with who's at the helm. Kimishima-san. Yeah. And nothing against him, but even with Iwata, they were still that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was the old Japanese mindset of, no, this is our IP, we control everything about it, and you buy it or you don't. And where nowadays, at least with the Western market, it's definitely, there is that. But then at the same time, they have a lot of developers working with 
streamers to get their content out there and get visibility so people see it and it's like, oh, you know what? I'd like to play that. Yeah. So, I don't know. The Western market seems to be using it more as an advertising uh, stream where the Eastern market's like, uh, no. Because, yeah. I mean, we see that with Atlas, too. And they're from Japan as well. That's true. And Matthew Kinetics in chat, um, Twitch chat, brings up, like, so true, no publisher to be making them stick to a date when they should polish a game instead. I mean, Nintendo publishes their own games, which has their benefits and stuff, but I'm sure... They're still trying to hit a date, but of course it's Nintendo. They're going to release it when they're ready. Nintendo um, Zelda's been in the oven for a long time. Like they actually delayed it two years. I was say you remember when they said, "Oh, it's going to be in 2015," and we laughed <laughs> our butts off. Like there's uh, no chance in hell that's. Gonna I laughed happen. and cried. Yeah, there's <laughs> no. Like, oh, I've got a Wii U for this. <laughs> like no chance. So now I have a Wii U for Mario Kart and Smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until those get well. Mario Kart got released, but when Smash gets re-released on Switch, then you just... I'm still not going to get rid of it because I got my uh, Advanced War on there. Until War Group comes out. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but it's still Advanced Wars. And, and, you know, Matthew Connects as well, I think with... I agree with that statement in chat. I we, We're getting enough products. I can wait for a better product. I'm not in a hurry to... We got enough games coming. We got enough. Um, but, um, yeah, I just think that... I, I'd hope to see maybe... I like the path Nintendo was walking. I want to continue to see that in 2018. I'd like to see more about their online infrastructure and what they plan. Because we we have a price point, but we don't necessarily have the full plan. And I don't know if they even know what their full plan is going to be. Or how they're going to get the server infrastructure to do it. I don't know if they're trying to cut a deal with Amazon. Who knows? But I, I, I think that it's not... That's going to be the next big step. For Nintendo, I think in 2018, but for 2017, stellar, successful, great, awesome year for them. Hundred percent, bar none. I don't. I think with even even with some of those some of those cons there, I think it was they had a really great, successful year. Um, is that it? Yeah. Take a drink of water here. Hold on. Um. Well, let's see. Any honorable mentions? Yeah, you got any honorable mentions for us? Developer of the year? I'm trying to think here. Actually, I will say, you know what? Um, the guys behind Gran Turismo Sport? Polyphony? Yeah, Poly- Polyphony Digital. Yeah. It took them forever, but when they finally released it, the game has a level of polish I expect nothing less from. I have not run into a single bug yet. The soundtrack has been great. They've, they're still releasing content for the game. So they're doing like the whole post-release content. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those where I do have to say they're not on the list, but Polyphony Digital, I would definitely give them a shout-out. Oh. That's, of course, if you like racing simulation games because, I mean, it, it is definitely a simulation. It is no arcade racer like Need for Speed. I think what I... Uh... Um, I may, maybe could lean towards Activision. I think they had a pretty pretty solid year overall, especially with sales and with Destiny 2, the, the success of that game and kind of having it released it really well. well like that's a Bungie. Destiny is Bungie. Well, Activision yeah, Act- the publisher. Oh, that's right. Okay. Good point. Um, I mean, Activision, they're the guys behind uh, Call of Duty, um, all that jibber-jabber. It. I would throw Blizzard in there purely for the Overwatch League, but that's 2018. We'll talk about them later. 
Um, do I have any other honorable mentions for any of those two? I had one in my head, and I think I lost it. No. Good thing or anything. Good thing or anything. That's okay. Chuck's just over there putting his elbows into CTG a little bit. <laughs> Chris, uh, we love you, man. Keep up the good fight. It. <clears throat> so, okay. Our honorable mentions are done. That's it for all of our six nominees here. Now it is the fun part where now we must take these six nominees and choose only three to enter the winner circle. And kind of see who gets on to the next round. Um, so let's have that discussion. Will, yeah, who's who's who should stay and who should go? Who's going to get thrown out on the side of the road as we go barrel down a thousand miles an hour and hope they turn right, and roll? So I need everyone to imagine this. All right, imagine it. All right. So this is Borderlands like one point five. All right, and the reason I say that is we got the bus. <laughs> oh my god and instead of running skags over we're running over developers we're only going to stop and let three on okay so who, who are the three that get on who are the, the first one that, on? that we plow through and destroy is capcom it's capcom <laughs> what a cap- it's capcom no no i <laughs> dude i'm sorry but that whole street fighter 5 plus the marvel vs. capcom infinite thing is awesome as mvc has like getting or it used to be. I just feel no draw to it anymore. Street and Fighter? Yes, to both. Street Fighter and NBC. Yeah, I just... I, it's not even that for me. I think that Capcom... I I think their big win here, and I think what helps them get on the list, is Resident Evil yes. 7. That's what gets them on the list. Everything but, else there do, together doesn't equal Resident Evil 7 as far as weight of getting on the list. I agree. It's good stuff. A fair amount of bad stuff. There's nothing new. There's nothing fresh. You're not really doing anything different, adding anything new to the industry, and not necessarily that they have to, but I think Capcom this year was a rebuilding year. This helped them step their game back up and understand what they're having to live up to. Now, in 2018, there again, rumors of this RE2 remake, rumors of a new DMC, uh, Mega Man 11 is confirmed, which looked pretty cool. I know a, big, a lot of big Mega Man fans out there, so... May have a good. That's just the what we know. Kind of rumors and stuff we know right now. We don't know what Capcom has planned for the rest of the year. Oh no, actually, I'm gonna shut the hell up. Mar- Monster Hunter World. Uh, that's got a. That's got a lot. Of, a lot of people are really excited about that. At least it hasn't come out as of this recording. Um, but a lot of people are excited about it. We'll see how that does at the beginning of the year. But um, I've played the beta. They can keep it. They're they're working to try and kind of make that like the Atlas did with Persona. Yes, um, my issue is I like the way it was, and I don't like the new the new feel. Yeah, you were, um... dude. I got the special edition DS. I went out of my way and spent an extra fifty bucks to be able to get that on day one. Oh, see us all in chat. We're st- taking a step back here as well. Capcom struck off the list. That is a very good honorable mention. Epic Games and what they've done with um, Fortnite, and basically the fact that. They just gave a game mode away for free. <laughs> well, not even that. It's kind of using Fortnite, and it's kind of, as of right now, it's kind of PUBG and Fortnite battling it out. PUBG, of course, has the edge, but Fortnite's been battling it out. But the big one, I think, is how many how many games, how many times have we heard this year, this game is made by Unreal Engine. 
Unreal Engine. Their fingers Almost every... everything on the Switch that's not a Nintendo title. I got their finger in every sort of pie. Good, good call, CSL. Honorable mention. Mine is Epic Games. I think that's a good, no, worthy, fair enough. worthy pick here. But back on the bus. So Capcom is we. Nick we're Kim. literally on, on the bus from Borderlands, yeah. and we're just plowing over Capcom <laughs> like a Nick skag. Um, I think I think Atlas has to get. I hate saying it, but I think Atlas has to get run off the bus. Yeah, their streaming policy is. It's well, it's not even that. If by what we've talked about with Capcom, I think that Atlas's big win this year was Persona Five, but that's that's really their only win. It. That's really they, it. They made a 3DS game besides that. Yeah, and their streaming policy, while it's not nearly as drawn out as some of the stuff Capcom pulled this year, it really doesn't help them. Doesn't hurt, but doesn't help. I think Atlas had a solid year, especially over two million copies of Persona, really kind of helping to make Persona a brand name in the JRPG JRPG genre. Along, not yet, but along this, along the lines of Final Fantasy, where they are really talking about those or franchises tales. in tandem with each other. Yeah, um, but. I don't think it, with everybody else on this list, I really don't think it stacks up. They don't stand up to Ninja Theory. I would I would 100% agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um, 100% agree. So, Atlas, you get booped. Um, <laughs> ha ha, speed boost, yay. <laughs> you know me so well. So, now we got four. One's getting run. It's between Ubisoft, Guerrilla Games, Ninja Theory, Nintendo. Who's getting who's getting hit? Honestly, Nintendo. What? Hear me out. Whoa! <laughs> Bombshell on stream. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So hear me you out. You gotta oh, talk. talk. Alright. You gotta look. make this real good, Will. You gotta make this real good. So here's my reasoning. Alright, Ubisoft, they were able to hold off a actual hostile takeover and still release fairly decent games. Um, the only one that I haven't purchased was for honor. And that was because I was in the beta and I didn't like the combat system. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a knock on the game or the technical skill in it. Okay. Um, I just didn't like the combat because it felt like too much for like rock, paper, scissors to me, which everything is if you boil it down to that, but it, it just felt that way. Um, but I didn't really hear anything negative about them this year. There was no major graphics glitches or technical glitches. Everything was fairly solid. They've been releasing content continuously for all their products. They're supporting it. They're not the best developer in the world, but they're also not EA. <laughs> and you're you're that's a low bar, Will. That's a low right. bar. No, but you got to look at it though, because as Ubisoft goes, look at uh, what Eves or Yes, whatever his Eves, name is. You're correct. You do a good uh, job. Uh, look at what they're doing because they're still doing these weird like artsy projects like Steep and Flight and the, the other stuff. So they're not just doing like, oh, hey, you know what? We got Assassin's Creed 42 for you. Don't you worry. Oh, I mean, we'll be like oh, retired geez, by Rick. then. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. But no, they're still... Well, who knows? If Vivendi takes them over, then God forbid we will get Assassin's Creed 42 in our lifetime. But go ahead. But, I'm sorry. No, it, they're actively pursuing things other than just the next big AAA, even though they're doing that as well. We got Mario plus Rabbids out of it. We did. I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you on... Now, I say Gorilla Games. I mean... Okay, the only negative thing is I had an issue with the way some of the animation was handled by a procedurally generated system. 
Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's re I, I told him before, I'm like, you were reaching real hard with on that one. But I'll let you I'll let it slide. I'll look, let it slide. Like that was the only thing I could think of mm-hmm. that they really needed to like work on as a development studio. Okay. Alright, so that's doing pretty good. Yeah. All right. Ninja Theory. Do I really need to explain their story yet again? No, you don't. <laughs> I, I don't. It's one. Of the, like, here, here's the reason why. I, my issues with Nintendo right now are not the games they've made. It's the system choices they have made for their hardware. Like so, how so? So the big issue I have with the Switch is our online when it does come out. I have to have my phone on. I can't just be like with my PlayStation, my it's, it's Xbox, new, or my PC. New, no, 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 no. That is a big sticking point for me. So as much as I love my Switch, it's in my backpack. It I carry it every backpack. day. I have a Nintendo Switch backpack. He does. I, I'm looking at It's pulling on stream right now. Here you go. You, audio listeners are missing out here. He's putting it on the stream there. Boom, there you go. Yeah, it's like a legit PDP branded Nintendo Switch $49.99 at your nearest GameStop. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I carry that with me every day. It's one of those, I love my Switch, but that does infuriate me. And the fact that we don't have a whole lot of of the other stuff, the negatives for Nintendo is awesome as Breath of the Wild is, and they do keep releasing content for Breath of the Wild. Well, it's kind of of done now. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, it literally, they had support for Breath of the Wild all year. So... I'm torn, man. They're the... It's Ninty, but look... (sighs) Look at, dude, the way I'm saying this is they have more negatives than everybody else on this list except for Capcom. <laughs> because nobody can beat that. They, did, they had a good year, but it wasn't that great. Uh, it, I, mean, I So, look, it's, it's very I hard love to, my Legend of Zelda, but let's be real for just a second. I, no, I, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from. It, it, it's it's dependent on it's how you're going to weight that online functionality, and I don't. It, I it's I'm very hard pressed to sit there and take um, Nintendo off the list just because of how well the Switch and Zelda and Mario are. Now I think me if I'm looking at this one, and I think we're going to have a debate. Let's have a discussion about this. I think All I right. think what's going to happen is that two are going to two are going to go. Okay. Or, or go in. They get on the bus. Go ahead and give them the tickets now. I think we, it's we know be, Ninja Theory's getting on the bus. Actually, we don't because that's oh. one of my. <laughs> I think what's getting on the bus is um, Guerrilla Games and Ubisoft. Really? Over think, Ninja Theory? I think. I hear me out. Hear me out. All right, go for okay, it. Okay, uh, but um, I think, I think Ninja Theory gets run off the bus because and look. If you've not listened to these Game of the Year episodes, you need to understand. I'm a huge Hellblade fan. I love Ninja Theory. I'm the one who told this fool to go play this game. And I think that... It, it, I, I, I agree with your comment that this is a very hard decision. I um, If it's going to be between us, I think it's going to be between Ninja Theory and Nintendo. Because I think that Nintendo... Or Ninja Theory... Yeah, we didn't have any cons for it. But it... it, it I don't want to say because it's an indie studio, but it had its really its big game was Hellblade, and it was really awesome. But I think I think kind of how we talked about with Capcom and um, Atlas on here as well. I think Ninja Theory exceeded their year. They had a great year. Mm-hmm. 
I think that the other three had better years than. Oh, I can Ninja guarantee Theory you, did. Nintendo had a better year than Ninja Theory, but that's also the size of the product they're pushing versus. I mean, that's also true, but you by by that also by that as well. Like every studio on here is a AAA studio except for Ninja Theory. Yeah, and I just like. I think that that's really like the case that I'm looking at right now is that I think again, Ninja Theory had a great year. Like here's the bar. Ninja Theory is up here. Everybody else is way up here. And I, I think that, you know, Capcom's like somewhere on the ground. I can't, I can't see it. No, no, they're, they're in the puddle of ooze. No, we they're not on the over. ground. They're a little bit above the ground. They had RE7. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to knock Capcom. Yeah. Because, no, no, they're the puddle in the back of the road that we just ran over because they were a skag. Oh God. And it, but I don't. Okay. I mean, first we had, we had, can can we agree that Ubisoft and Gorilla get on the bus? There, I already wrote them down. Okay. So he's, he's running down there. They're on the bus. Ubisoft and Gorilla Games in the safe zone. Sitting there sipping their martinis, watching the driver figure out who they're going to, who's going to hit next as they're strapped on the road. He's sitting there with a shotgun like, who's getting on? And so now. We're in, we're in a sudden death mode. we got to figure out which one it's going to be. Is it going to be Nintendo or is it going to be Ninja Theory? And, man. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't, this, is the, this is the weird part. I don't know. we got to figure out. Like, uh, I, I don't. I, I, my opinion, I feel like Nintendo had the better year in it. Yes, that is because it's Nintendo, but it's because it's Nintendo. Like, they, their successes are lifted up but their failures are i mean and it maybe helps the, your what you're talking about as well their failures or drag them down just as well just as like just as hard if not harder than their successes do because they're they're viewed in the world eye when you have a success like the switch people love you but when you have a failure like the way you the people hate like what are you doing oh my god yeah i i think I, it's it's a hard sell. I mean, you'd... further thoughts. We got to nail this one down. The one thing I will say that Ninja Theory is doing that Nintendo is not is their Vidox and actually getting people involved in what it looks like for them to make a game. And, and I, like for developer of the year, see that that speaks to me a lot. Like I agree with you, and that's why like now we're talking about it. I'm like I don't know. Nintendo is very closed about that. Essentially, all we know about the development of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is Koji Kondo um, essentially had everything done in like an 8-bit engine first. So yeah. they could see that how that went, but we don't know any of like the working uh, stuff behind that. And then oh, there, there, there's some behind the scenes stuff, but it's very traditional developer stuff. Yeah, like you have to find an interview, like on the Nintendo Power Podcast, dig it up, and yeah. then like, is there a video of this somewhere? Is there a print like of it? Whereas this, you just go to Ninja Theory's website, pull it up, and you can see. Yeah. And I I, I, I agree with you on that. Like, I think Ninja Theory does have to be applauded for that. It's so... I talked about it in Biggest Impact. It's so important to kind of help bridge that gap for people who do not understand game development and game developers to kind of come together and like, look, this is what we're doing. This is how we do this. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And that clarity was really, that's really something you've never seen before. And I'm sorry, but when it comes to something like that, as far as developers go, I mean, I feel that's more important than just, hey, we made the best Legend of Zelda ever, but it's, you're still fighting Ganon at the end. 
And, hey, Damn. And like, hey, we made the best Mario ever, but you're still fighting Bowser at the end. Wow, man. It hasn't changed. The formula's there. They're just reinventing the formula, but the end still is the same. You either beat Bowser and, he, and you win or you don't. And you do it again and again and again until you beat Bowser. It, see us all in chat says, in my opinion... Nintendo should not be in a, quote, developer category since we do not know their game development structure. It is outside developers under the umbrella making some of these games, or is it specifically Nintendo? Depends on the game, CSL. Um, so, like, Koji Kondo is a direct Nintendo employee, and he's the head of, like, Legend of Zelda development. Yeah. So, and in that Mario, instance... Your Zelda, like, your... Um, your Zeldas, your Your Mario's. Nintendo brands. Your Zeldas, your Marios, those are made specifically by Nintendo. We're not talking, like, Bayonetta, which is being funded by Nintendo and published by Nintendo, but is being made by a third party. Yeah. Um, Metroid, surprisingly enough, is not being made by um, Nintendo. Oh, I Pokemon mean, no. Games is made by Game Freak, which technically is Their not... Their own... No, um, the Pokemon Company and Game Freak are technically ma- majority owned by Nintendo. But there's, um, but they're technically a separate company. They're, they're they, majority owned. They're not fully owned. Yeah, yeah splitting hairs there. So you, there is that. T- it's kind of split hairs there. But for they are, they do have a development branch, but they're also publishers as well. Yeah. You're making this. This is what I want to like. You got to make the case. No, this my is case is things. like, look, they made some amazing games this year that follow the same f- formula since the '80s. And we don't, like CSL said, we don't really, yeah, so actually he's got a point, take the Switch out of the equation and just talk about the games. If you take... Because that, take that the, is a hardware development, it's not software development. If you take the... It, ooh, ooh, snaps. Oh, that is a good point. Because, I mean, hardware, dude, the Switch was primarily, uh, the whole inside of that is essentially the NVIDIA Shield... <laughs> Yeah, because if you take it's the hardware out, you're looking at on it. you. I mean, you had great games. You had great uh, even like taking out the Indies. You had great like very high selling games. Oh, Arms was a great it, great spiritual successor to the Punch Out series. But, I I mean, it's Punch Out with spaghetti arms instead of boxer arms. I want everybody to picture the bus. And I want you to picture me. I, of course, Will and I are in the back. We're chilling. We're just like, hey. No, we're on the go. we're on the top of the bus in like the bar area because oh, this is a double decker. Double decker. Okay, cool. cool. Double yeah. decker. And I, I, Cameron's rolling down the window. He's looking out at Nintendo and Ninja Theory. And you know, Will and I have had words in the in the top part of the bus. And I'm looking at, I'm looking down. I'm like, I'm sorry, Nintendo. I can't. Like, <laughs> he's making a good point, and I like, I don't. I don't have a point. I can't make an argument necessarily for taking Ninja Theory off because like there was nothing really negative about them. They had a great year, mm-hmm. and and I don't. When you make the good point, like, and I'm sure CSL will agree with me in chat because I know he's a big he's big on indie games. But like, it shouldn't matter that a game, a studio is a AAA or indie developer. Like if, it, no, if you're a developer, I, you're making a game, and the fact that Ninja Theory even got on this nominees list. As the only indie dev speaks volumes to me. What last year? What was it? Um, I think last year didn't concern Ape win 2016 game of the yeah. year. Who was not Eric, game, Eric uh, Brown? Devel- yeah, Eric Brown concerned Ape. He, uh, I think he got developer or I think he got developer that or he had unexpected gem. We have to go back and look. Well, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure he got best developer, but I think that she says a lot. And I mean, bring up a good point. Like from a development standpoint, game development, uh, Switch is hardware development. That's R and D. Um, 
you take that out of the equation, Nintendo had just had really great stellar games, and man, but they're like their online functionality is still a big question mark. They're still making some mistakes that old Nintendo usually makes. They're still not out of that. They're in the maturity phase, but they're still not out there yet. Um, and, and yet, CSL, I knew he'd say the same thing. Like you grade them on the same scale, and if if and I, I'm sorry, but as much as I love Nintendo games, at the same time, I knew what was going to happen when I went to go fight Ganon. I knew what was going to happen when I went to go fight Bowser. Because I've been playing them since I was a kid. It's not a bad thing, but at the end of the day, I know what the end is. Well, I, you can definitely chalk this up as Cameron never saw this coming. Um, <laughs> I'm instructing the bus driver to run over Nintendo. We have run over Nintendo, and now... Um, Sorry, Nintendo, we love you. And, but... and Matthew Connect said, did you have fun, though? Uh, of course, we always have fun with the Nintendo games, but um, I, I, I really like... You made a strong argument. You made a strong case. Well, yes. I, of course, I always have fun with Nintendo games, but also I, I got to look at it as more of just like, is this going to be something that I expect? Versus, uh, honestly, some of the stuff that came out of Ubisoft this year, I did expect. I didn't expect Assassin's Creed Origins to be as good as it is, considering that the last couple of Assassin's Creed's were so bad I didn't even touch them. So, there's that. Um, honestly, yeah, Legend of Zelda game was great still was very formulaic even though it was open world yeah you yeah. know so as far as that goes and i personally i would have to say ninja theory was a and gorilla games because gorilla even had more vidocs than you know most developers do because they they've got some of their stuff on their website yeah they do and they actually did a no clip thing as well with um yep danny o'dwyer um but hey yeah i mean matthew connects in chat the in my opinion the ending is not the most important part of the game um it helps as well uh, that's Matt, I'm going to tell you to stick around next week for Game of the Year because we're going to dive really, really deep into that um, in that specific topic as well, I'm sure, especially after what we just heard about here. But I think that you you make the good point that Nintendo had some had really, I mean, they had Zelda and Mario in the same year. Uh, that was, that in and of itself is big, great games. These are like 10 level epic tier masterpiece games. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying that they're not good games i enjoy them but i'm also looking at it from that we're, we're not talking about the quality of the game we're talking about the quality of the developer and what we can see about that developer know about the developer and actually learn from them that, that's the way i see it uh, yeah no, i mean that's what we talked about we're looking at the, the not not the games the games help bolster the developer's case now the executed but we're looking at the developer what has that developer done and been successful in or not successful in and i think that I think what happens is that I, Nintendo has a few more check marks against it than Hellblade does, or than Ninja Theory does. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, so, with that being said, we are now in our winner's circle. Three games have gotten on the bus. Now only, three developers. Three developers have gotten on the bus. Now, only one developer can come up to the top part of the double-decker bus with and us. And hang out at the bar. Exactly. It's open bar. You can get whatever you want. The tab's covered. Yeah. Only one gets it, and that's so. Our winner circle guys are Ubisoft, Guerrilla Games, and Ninja Theory. Now, I like I didn't expect the nominees to be the way they were, so now I gotta ask, like, what who who, who are you leaning on for top choices? I don't, I, I don't know. I really don't. 
I really don't. <laughs> these, these, all yeah. these developers had really successful games. They had really successful years. Um, there really weren't a lot. Kind of going back on your thing, there really weren't very hard, strong cases of negatives against them this year. No, not at all. They had a lot of great successes. If you want to count, if you're looking at the amount of games and quality games that were made and well, how well they of, did. Volume of games shouldn't matter. And I'm, saying, I'm just picking out points. If you're looking at that, yeah. you're going to go with Ubisoft. Right. If you're looking at a complete 180 turnaround, you're looking at um, Guerrilla Games and what they did from Killzone to Horizon. Right. From a B-tier studio to get that extra level and go to level level AAA and level up. But if you're looking at the um, the tenacity and inventiveness of studios and you're looking at Ninja Theory, and I think what it's really going to come down to is what we, Rocket Punch, really put our weight on. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it all out there. As far as all of this goes, I think Ubisoft has done great for this year. I don't think that makes them the best developer of the year. I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, I think that they made a lot of great games. Assassin's Creed Origin nailed it at the park. They've learned a lot of lessons they've, from their fan feedback. They've shown that they're willing to step back, reassess, and reevaluate before they move forward, which is awesome. People need to do that. Don't run something that people love into the ground. Um, I, it's, I, of course, it's, I, I guess it's between Ninja Theory and Guerrilla Games. I feel like. And see, it's all points and I don't know the whole story behind the Vivendi takeover, but if you're talking about the developer of the year that takes some major guts to continue making games, it was a big thing. They, we'll talk. We'll talk later, Chad. Yeah, we'll talk. Yeah, that's a huge that, conversation. That's actually a conversation we should probably have as its own podcast episode. Ooh, the Vivendi takeover. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I like that one. I, I, I think know. that would be worth digging further into and actually having a real discussion about that. That's a good one. Okay, initially right now, my gut, not hearing anything, is leaning towards Gorilla. And I don't... Part of my reason for Gorilla Games is really making... Because I think they're in... I think they're both... Both of these studios are in the same place. These are studios that made good... Or great games. Mm-hmm. Um, on Gorilla, you had the basically the Killzone franchise. On um, Ninja Theory, you had DMC. You probably in uh, DNC was their most recent one. I think Enslaved Journey to the Rest also got decent reviews. Um, Hellblade or not Hellblade, but um, was Heavenly Sword didn't really do all that well. Um, from what I think critically, but I really liked. With Ninja Theory, they had a in these two, they had a complete empty base, and they they did then they took their game and built it from the ground up. They don't have a franchise or anything like that. I think I think Gorilla Games had more to lose in this scenario as a developer and sticking their neck out and creating a brand new IP, especially from these, again, these are the kill zone guys and coming from that, from a first person shooter game to an third person action RPG game and building that game 
in making it the success it is to the fact that I I can say safely that uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is up there with Legend of Zelda and Halo as system seller status, I think. In that oh, year. no, I would definitely agree with you on that. Um, so one thing I, I want to kind of point out is on Guerrilla Games' website, if we're talking about developer of the year, not only do they have like the no-clip Vidoc that Danny O'Dwyer went in and got the whole story of mm. that. If we look at it on here, they have actual articles that they've published talking about multiplayer programming for Killzone, going into real-time volumetric cloudscapes and Horizon Zero Dawn, um, talking about their work with the Decima engine and making tools for it. And like, these are all on Gorilla's website. I'm on it right now looking at it. Oh, wow. Okay, really? Yeah, no, I'm on their website looking at it. It's gorilla games, gorilla-games.com. And it's just amazing the level of data they're putting out there. Honestly, with this kind of stuff, I mean, for me, seeing the what they've gone from and where they're at, and they're continuing to support where they're at, personally, I've I fought for Ninja Theory to get on here because I do believe that they are the top three. I don't believe they are number one. I don't believe Ubisoft is number one either. And and then CSL in chat brings up a point. Um well, no, that, it, that doesn't make them a good developer. It shows that they're putting work into it and they're sharing their work. See us all in chat puts, but I don't think simply the games should be looked at. Will said the thing that turning around Assassin's Creed franchise, that equals good developer. Ooh, website with articles also equals good developer. See us all, you're not wrong. You are not wrong. I'm not saying that that makes them a good developer. I'm it, saying that they're willing to take themselves to the next level well, and go even further beyond. And uh, also, also bring, bring this up for people in chat and for people who are listening. And I know for Chuck there... Kind of throwing throwing this out there is that if you're if you're taking on that yes that is great development you're you, but that, that's great development to a certain extent if you look at the whole story yes they made a great Assassin's Creed game they took a year off to get extra development time in it the reason they took the extra time is because they made Unity and from you know yes sales do affect the devs and the pubs basically they were losing money on that franchise and yep. they needed to figure out a way to do that now they could have just killed it i appreciate the devs and the pub publishers and the corporate guys were coming on saying look if we're not going to sell the games we're going to stop making it every year guess what they stopped making money they stopped making the game every year but in the, while yes they did turn around the assassin's creed franchise and that game is great you're also looking at in comparison i think Picking on Guerrilla Games, I would dare say that especially in the latter half with Unity and Syndicate, the Killzone games were at probably at parity as far as general overall development styles and ratings and things like that for those games. And I think yeah, we just didn't have any game breaking bugs on them. I think Horizon nailed it more out of the park than Assassin's Creed did. Oh, I. That's not even a competition, man. And I mean, I've, it literally became the status of a system seller versus, hey, no matter what platform you're on, we're going to buy this. No, no, no. People are buying PlayStation 4s to get this game. Yeah, and it's... It's kind of... I don't want to put it quite at this tier, but it's almost like Last of Us was at the end for the PS3. People were buying PS3s from the yeah, Xbox well, side I, to play Last of Us. Say, I'm yeah. not saying it's quite <laughs> there. Yeah, no. I hear you. I hear you. But it, it is going to be the definition of a system seller, mm -hmm. and it will move consoles. And I think that in, in CSL's other point in chat as well, like I, they are good developers. We're looking for the best developer of the year. And it with Horizon, you talk about like taking your company to the next level is the dream. 
I think, my opinion, talking, Guerrilla Games took them to the next level. The only reason people know about Guerrilla Games now in conversations is because of Horizon Zero Dawn. Unless you've been a PlayStation kid forever, then yeah. Like, if, if, if you talk about Killzone, people don't, well, okay, Killzone, what I do? But when you talk about Horizon, people are down with Horizon from 2017. People have been, always been like, dude, Assassin's Creed is great. And they know it's a great experience. And yes, it did exceed expectations from what they got in the development. The, the reason they're in the top three is, well, one not, of the big reasons is for Assassin's Creed Origins. Yes, but that's, it's not the only reason. Exactly. Because and, they were able to be like, hey, you know what? We're going to delay the South Park game because it's not right yet. And they kept delaying it until, you know, like, okay, cool, we release it. Which is still, that's great. That's good development. That's yeah. being a good, a great developer even. But I think that the work and the effort that um, they put in wrong. is that the work that they put in to create like i I've, I've looked at all of the dev talks especially the the no clip thing for um horizon zero dawn is great like how they had to work to build a completely new engine for this game well actually no they they you they built a new engine for Shadowfall, which they incorporated into horizon zero dawn how they had to make a quest building system in horizon because they never a system they never done before Yep. Never had any experience with. They had to figure out a story for this game. They had to figure out the combat because they're used to first-person shooters and the fact that they, the developers took on this challenge, something that they were not used to doing mm -hmm. on the back end and creating in a game and created that. The Decima engine that's used in um, Horizon Zero Dawn is being used for Kojima's next mega monster brain-melting hit. Like when... When you have a rock star like Kojima who's going around and looking at all these, when he's looking at all these um, game engines to find which one is going to be the best fit for his game. And he chooses your engine? That's a big deal. A very big deal. And it, like you're, you're sitting here and, you, and like for them to, I remember hearing the conversation where they just come in and say, look, here's, here's our thumb drive with our source code for the Decima engine. Go make a great game out of it. And Kojima, a veteran of the industry, a veteran game developer, comes in and says, the tools and stuff have been robust when other people are leaning on your engine and stuff like that. I don't know if people would have said the same thing about Assassin's Creed Origins. Mm. In that engine. I, I don't know. And I don't... I think that... Again, one of my big things... Cecil, you're bringing up the point of... Um, buying this, you know, game discussion, whatnot. We have to look at developers of the year. I guess the, uh, the one big thing as well is that this is us, and we're not game developers. We're looking at this nope. from the critics' standpoint. We know, I think, I, I feel comfortable to say that we know a lot more about game development than maybe than some the, critics and some outlets out there, not everybody. We know more about it than a grandma walking in and be like, my little Timmy said he wants the new Call of Duty. Yeah, and, and I think that... <laughs> he wants to be a Marine. But when talking about that game... You know, we, we talked about kind of the things we're looking for in that developer of the year conversation that, you know, has succeeded and got above and beyond within their industry, like in, with their games and within their industry in this year. You know, we only we only know and we're only given so much about that back end stuff on how those developers work. And but with Horizon Zero Dawn, 
we look at that game because that is a testament to the work that that developer has put in. And that's why we look at the games yep. is because when like I know the tech, I, I learned and I enjoyed the game so much that I cared to know the technology behind how they, the technology behind how when you're playing Horizon, it actually like gets doesn't render everything at the same time. It only renders what's in field of view. And as you move, the game actually renders mm -hmm. everything real time. Um, understanding how the AI works in Horizon Zero Dawn, and I, et cetera, et cetera. And I think again, I'm I guess for me looking at that, I'm hearing all this stuff. I'm like the and it goes back. These are the guys who made Killzone. Who were B tier uh, developers working for Sony, making the shooter bro equivalent, so they had something to compete against Halo. And the, there's no, and I stand by no one, and I, I hate it, but I, I kind of understand no one really cared about Gorilla. Nobody knew about Gorilla until Horizon. And for them to come in to say, we want to make a new IP, we're going to go to these links to do it. And they, I mean, Horizon could have been like, oh, it's okay, it's a, it's a good game, good job. Mm -hmm. Gorilla Games, pat on the back. See you later. Um, Assassin's Creed, by that effect. Assassin's Creed Origins could have been the same way. Uh, Hellblade could have been the same way. But I think just on the success and the interest and the quality that these developers put in these games, Horizon, I think, stands above the pack with it, above everybody else. I would have to you know, agree with you as far as all this goes. Personally, my vote's for Gorilla. My vote's for Gorilla too, and it's... It's, we're the two votes of the matter. There we go. <laughs> so, we're, what, what are we at? I'm looking at the time here. We're almost two hours. we got to cut this short. It's a great conversation, though. I think that um, we're going to call it here. I think we've made our cases here. And, yeah. Um, your Rocket Punch Game of the Year 2017 Developer of the Year Award goes to Gorilla Games. Agreed. Good job. With, cannot forget... Ubisoft and Ninja Theory rounding out the winner's circle as well. Um, definitely applaud those two guys for all really just great stellar years. They had big successes this year, and that yeah. should not be ignored. by. I'm any sorry we had to run other. Nintendo over, but dude. Yeah, I, I, I feel a little bad, but it, it, they got they got enough going on with them. They're, they're making millions. They, they, got, they got money in the bank. They'll I was going to say, okay. like, um, Ghost Recon Wildlands with number seven best-selling game last year. I think Zelda with, like, five. They're Wait, they're what fine. beat out Zelda? Um, Call of Duty. Of Destiny course. 2. <laughs> of course. You, you forget about those. You, you got to remember, those games are the hot sellers. They, Everybody the buys The Shooter Bro games. I every forget. year. Every year. Ah, freaking Shooter Bros. I think that was good. That was a good one. Yeah. Really conversation. You never saw that one coming, did you? Never did. I never. I, I was completely flummoxed when he said, kill Nintendo. I'm like, what? You got to make a case for this. Um, but he made a case. And um, that struck Nintendo. Nintendo off the list here, but really great conversations. And that's it for developer of the year, yeah. which, which means based on the order that we release these, that means looks at camera next episode. It's time. If you didn't know this, like, as I said at the beginning, this is the pen ultimate episode for our game of the year discussions. The next episode after this is the one You've all been waiting for. We've all been waiting for. We're ready to talk about, I think, maybe kind of, sort of, the official Rocket Punch Game of the Year deliberations where we actually get to sit down in this room on stream and pick what's going to be Game of the Year. 
next time on Rocket Punch Game of the Year. <laughs> Can we get the little dragon? Ball? Do, 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 do. You gotta get that get that little jingle. No, in here? I'm not doing that. I do not need to deal with toy animation. It um you know, no no oh what no I was gonna say if if they're giving TFS a hard time I don't even want to touch mm-hmm. the jingle. Good point. Good point. No, guys, um, our next episode will be our official Game of the Year pick. We're going to sit down on stream um, Sunday, I believe. Let me get the date right so I don't misquote anybody. Sunday, January 28th, we will be here live on twitch.tv slash rocketpunchlive. Everything else, all the other categories are done. There's only one left, and we will be sitting down, and we will be talking about the nominees, and we will be picking one game to rule them all. What was our? What was the best game from the Rocket Punch crew for 2017? We're going to be talking about it here. You do not want to miss that live, but if you can, if you do have to, don't worry. We'll have it on audio um, for all of our podcast listeners and everyone listening out there as well. But again, twitch.tv slash Rocket Punch Live, January 28th. 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. You don't want to miss it. You want to be here that entire time for this conversation. Join in. Maybe help throw your opinions around. Help maybe sway us a little bit to see which one gets Game of the Year. You only have a certain amount of sway, though. I want to let you know that right now. Once we get in that winner circle, it's kind of just up in the air with us. But, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm ready. I'm ready not only for Game of the Year to wrap up, so also we can start enjoying these 2018 games that are coming out. Um, for real, yeah. man. I had to... There's an indie game called Iconoclasts. Uh, look it up; it's really cool. Um, there, uh, there's one I Tiny really want. Tiny Metal. Tiny Metal came out. Oh yeah. Um, there's a, one I'm really wanting to play, but it's multiplayer. It's um, Full Metal Furies. Look really cool. I'll show you that later. It looks mm-hmm. really awesome. Um, but no, guys, uh, definitely uh, thank you guys so much. Um, everybody who's tuning in via Twitch, everybody who's listening on podcast services around the globe, thank you so much for enjoying and consuming our content. Um, always remember, you can catch up on all of the latest Game of the Year action as well as all of our content over at RocketPunchGo.com. Be sure to go vote in the People's Choice form over on RocketPunchGo.com in our Game of the Year section as well. Um, you can vote as many times as you'd like. There's no <laughs> cutoff there. Um, for the Game of the Year episode, we will be looking at some of the stats and kind of sh- bringing the results in from our Game of the Year um, People's Choice form. So definitely make your voice heard. Spread the word. Um, let people... T- tune in as well um, if you want to help support the show always go to patreon.com slash rocket punch it's your one-stop shop to help keep the lights on here and rocket punch studios that was it great conversation i think a great penultimate episode um, yeah that's all we've got for everyone oh, this man. time we will be back again remember the last week in january next episode will be game of the year discussions we get to make our pick for game of the year so don't miss it until then we'll see you later Thank you.